Gun control, where did it come from and uh, where is it going? Let's talk about that as we stray further every day. What you believe about God dictates how you will think. Our philosophies dictate how our culture behaves. Politics is simply the enforcement of cultural norms. The truth claims about God, philosophy, culture, and policies will affect what we value. When these things are in alignment, revival is possible. Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. To my right, in the chair of theology, I got Miss Nikki. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you today? Doing well. Doing well. Dealing with the reason why we believe what we believe. Sola Scriptura. So, and uh, yours truly sitting in the chair of uh, philosophy, dealing with the rigor that the Christian must bring to the faith. And to my left, I've got Mr. Steve. How are you? I'm, man, John Arthur, it is a beautiful <laughs> day. I am doing fantastic, man. It's the day the Lord's made. Amen, dude. I am sitting in my favorite chair. Chair of culture. You betcha. Dealing with the counterculture the Christian must bring into his left, we got Mr. Charlie. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm doing great. Glad to have you in the chair of politics. Very interesting chair. Yes, sir. Especially on this topic. Especially today. Mm-hmm. So let's dig in. Let's dig in. If you've read the title to this podcast, you know we're going to talk about the history of gun control. And um, as uh, someone once said, it smacks of racism. But uh, actually, oh, kind of, kind of so. Um, it's no longer a straw man argument to claim that they're going to come for your guns, and then they're going to come for your knives, and then they're going to come for you. It it used to be considered a straw man, but it's clearly not because if you've been following the news over the past four or five years, just to show you where the gun debate eventually devolves to, in the UK, we actually have stories of uh, them banning knives. And go ahead and put up that slide, Mrs. Producer. We got them stories of banning knives uh, and just to make it more funny that the... the, is it Archbishop, I forget, uh, of the Church of England said that, hey, you know, we should ban pointy knives, pointy knives, pointy knives. I, I, I don't know what that even means. Well, and when you think about sitting down at your favorite local picnic and you've got your plastic cutlery out, is that a butter knife? Well, you, you don't I get mean, to have those either because as, as we just showed on the slide, they're also coming for what? Oh, they're plastic cutlery because yeah. of because because a seal might might inhale yeah. one, uh, so <laughs> like a Pretty straw. Pretty soon we're going to be eating or, like cavemen with sticks. No, I mean really we're, with we're, your fingers. With your fingers. Really, where it's going well, is, is there will not be any freedom. I'll, I'll tell yeah. you what. Don't make your stick pointy. Don't make your stick right. pointy, <laughs> or don't carry a club because you might use it to defend yourself, as they uh, as they said with the uh, African Americans or the slaves. Right. Let's 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 sort of dig into it because where does gun control come from? Well, you we can kind of get into the weeds. We can talk about the history of Great Britain. We can talk about the history in Europe where they there was first an assassination attempt, but really it started to come down on folks who were considered political minorities. In fact, if you look at the um, Bill of Rights, Citizens' Bill of Rights in England in 1688, you'll find that the Protestants were re-gifted the right, because this had flip-flopped in England over the centuries, they were re-gifted the right to defend themselves because uh, King James II was very much anti-Protestant and they were under that duress. So why would, why would a nation like America that was founded in the name of liberty by people who were escaping persecution that involved stripping minorities of their right to defend themselves, why would America consider going back and enforcing such a draconian measure? Sin the sin of slavery, specifically. There's always been a tale of two Americas. You go up to someone on the street and you say, what do you think of America? You'll get one of two responses effectively. One of them, on one extreme will be, America is wonderful. She was founded in liberty, in Christ's liberty specifically, and she was meant to make men free. 
She was born imperfect, but she's been working, as all men do, to perfect herself and to rid herself of sin. And one of those sins being slavery. The other side will say America is racist, rotten to the core. It has never been right, and it never really will be. Those two people, unbeknownst to them, are talking about their worldview. They're not really necessarily talking about America. They're talking about their worldview, the thing that's driving them, the thing that's driving their hearts and their minds, the ideology. Because when you get down to it, there's been two groups that have been fighting in America. In the North, when we settled, we had the Quakers, we had the Puritans come. And in the South, we had those who colonized Jamestown for profit. And you've seen two Americas running concurrently with each other. There was a bloody civil war. I won't even pretend that there, it was just about slavery, it was about states' rights, it was about slavery, it was about the haves and haves nots, it's about a class warfare. There's a lot of stuff going on in the civil war. But it's also undeniable that people on both sides were fighting for slavery. There were slaves fighting for both sides. So it was a complex issue. But it wasn't just it wasn't just a civil war. It wasn't a small thing. There was a lot of blood spilt to remove America of the sin of slavery. And John Arthur, one quick thing I think we should do for all of our listeners. I think it's important that we understand that every opinion that we utter and every stance that we take on a particular issue, the root of it is our worldview. Amen. It, it really is. And so what you, what you think and what you say is based on those things, and that's what's going to come out of you. Amen. And so as we dig into it, we're going to go fast. We're going to go over some of the primary gun laws that were instituted in America, where they first came from, and you're going to see a theme. All of these gun laws, these are the same arguments used today that were used against the Afro-Americans. These are the same arguments. Let's dig into it. The first gun law on record was in 1640 in Virginia, and the law was set, uh, set uh, was worded this way, prohibiting Negroes, slave and free, from carrying weapons, including clubs. Also passed in 1640, uh, did I say 1840 earlier? 1640, 1640. 1640 mm -hmm. was the statute that all free Mulattoes, Negroes, and Indians. Guys, we're, we're, we're reading the text here. This is the yeah, way. Literal. This is the way that they right. treated them. Th these are the words: Mulattoes, Negroes, and Indians shall appear without arms. This meant that people who were carrying something that looked like a cane or a club would have it removed from them. If it could be used as a weapon, it would be removed from them. You know, heaven forbid if. You know, you had a gimp leg or if you had, for some instance, you know, a foot that was missing and you needed to use a cane for some reason or a crutch or, a, you know, a handmade crutch or something. My gosh, could you imagine having that taken away and having to walk around exactly. on a stump? My lands, man. So let's go to the chair of theology for a moment because I think this is, this is important. When you start to allow man to take the rights and privileges that were gifted by God, the rights and privileges that were inalienable, there are always unforeseen consequences. Yes. Um, Go ahead and elaborate on that. Well, I just want to say that a lot of, a lot of these, uh, first off, to start with slavery, you're, what you're saying is that I am better than you are, therefore you will serve me, I'm not going to pay you. You're lower than I am, and uh, you are now my slave, and, and so you ha are in my bondage. And I want to make something clear because I, I got this on uh, gotquestions.com. Um, That's gotquestions.org, by the way. .org. I'm yes, sorry. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, so we need a, a clear definition of equality, and let's think about that biblically because this has not been – the way the Americans looked at it back in the 17 and 18 and even into the 1900s about equality. So in this, in, in the answer here is... Some Americans. Yes. And by the way, let me just push the, put this in here. When our founding fathers put in the constitutional rights of free speech, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of religion, that was key 
because when sin would rise up in these certain behaviors, that religious thought and opinions could be spoken, and it can make it can change things. So that is very key. You never want to lose those those freedoms. So according to this, is let's give a definition of equality, which can refer to sameness in measure, likeness in quality, status of nature, or impartiality in treatment. And one of the things in the beginning, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female. He created them, not black and white, not red, not you know. It's it's all men are created in the image of God. So we must understand the importance and the equality of all men because all men share the likeness of God. That's pretty important. And we haven't treated all men that way. And where it ultimately results is in the destruction and the devaluation of the individual. And once you have devalued one group of people, it is inevitable that you will devalue humankind because we're all inextricably linked from so, the chair of philosophy here. Let me, um, let me just say the one thing. When you start to devalue one person over another, you push God off the throne, and you now are God making the statement. And that was, and that was where I was going. That, 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 was, that was exactly where I wanted to go, is once you have taken man's value and stripped him of it, you have now put your posi- yourself in the position of God. Mm-hmm. You are on the throne of the universe, at least in your own mind. And that's what we saw in the, and again, it's a tale of two Americas. You'll have the, you'll go back and look, people say, well, the, the, the church sanctioned this and they used the Bible. Yeah, the liberal church, the same church that we've been fighting this entire time. There was also an equal contingent of Quakers, Puritans, et cetera. They were fighting this from the get-go. From the 1600s, they were fighting this. They thought slavery was abhorrent. So you've got to look not at the groups. Don't look. So uh, Jason Mitchell, uh, a commentator who was kind of popular in the in the 2000s, uh, the 2000s, said it really well. He says, if you want to understand a religion, don't look at the followers. Look at the founders. If you want to understand a philosophy, don't look at the followers. Look at the founders. Look at what is at the core of the issue. And so when you see the core of the issue, there were, there, there, there's this issue of devaluation of the human being. And when they come for your gun rights, that is exactly what they're doing. They're stripping you of your value and they're replacing themselves as Father God, Daddy God who's going to protect you. However, as we saw in Uvalde, that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always work. There are problems. Let's go to the chair of culture for just a moment. When you have a culture that has stripped someone down so low that they are not allowed to defend themselves or even have a pretense or even look like they're capable of defending themselves, what does that do to the individuals in that culture? How does that affect their ability to rise up and escape the lowly status that has been thrust upon them? They're not capable of being able to do that, John Arthur. Um, Or it's certainly difficult. It's it's super, super difficult. You get trapped in the, it's like a a circle you get trapped in. It's a a constant flow where you live in, let's say, for instance, you're you're in a low-income area where it's just completely uh, a gang-infested area where you're, <clears throat> excuse me, where it's just overrun with gangs running drugs or whatever the case may be. And this is, for instance, everybody knows about all these certain cities that has these, have these problems, and we know about this one uh court uh went all the way up to supreme court about this one thing about the uh i can't remember the name are, of are the, you are, are, the, are you talking the, about chicago where yes. you were able to just hold a firearm I, I, in your own home you couldn't uh, do it 
to protect yourself. Yes. The children that where the firearms people go by and just just shoot and children are dying. You can't even protect yourself in your own home. People hold themselves up. They don't even go outside and sit on the porch. They and don't even go outside their home. They keep their children in their homes. They're afraid for their children to play outside. And so I want to, that's a really good segue. That's a really good segue. I want to run from that to the chair of politics because what happens when we have tyranny, when we have, and whether it be from the individual or from the government, you're talking unfortunately, anarchy, buddy. unfortunately, what we end up wanting is more security or more laws. Yeah. When we set up a situation where we are self-perpetuating the problem and we are institutionalizing it, and and again, this is kind of going a little bit away from the from the from the history. I don't want to go too far, but when you have a cultural idea that strips people of their rights, eventually it's going to trickle to the politics. It's going to be enforced by the politics. What happens when you give the government that kind of power? When you put the government as God, what happens? They'll grab for more. They'll grab for more power. As a matter of fact, the first thing that came to my mind when Steve was starting to speak there, let's take the country of North, uh, North Korea. Oh. You, do you think they feel like they've got any hope? I mean, that is a man that's got the thumb, both thumbs, on everybody, and, and they can't do anything about it. Well, look at Australia. Oh, that's getting bad there. We're watching, we're watching the fall of, of, of a free country into darkness there. And I'm going to tell you something else. Venezuela. New Zealand, uh, New Zealand is, is a side pocket of that same thing. Sure. And they're, both of those countries are running hard into that kind of dynamic. And for those of you who've missed it, you know, we've talked about this on the show at the risk of repeating ourselves. You're watching in Australia, people are losing their liberties. Every day. And we're, we're talking about people who are getting locked up, put in prison for praying. If they said, I prayed for you, and they're talking to someone struggling with their gender identity, someone else hears that and says, oh, that's intolerant. That person goes to jail, the, per the person who prayed. They'll be coming for Daniel next in his window. It's not, a, it's not a slippery slope argument. It's not a straw man. It's what's occurring. You have people who've been stripped of their firearms, so there's no fear of retaliation from the government. Whether or not you've taken the jab, okay, whether or not you believe that, that, that it's a good decision or a bad decision, it should horrify all of us that people who did not want to take the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, they're, they're now in prison camps. And when I say prison camps, they were voluntarily sent there, voluntarily at the cost of a fine, if they didn't. And then they were put in there, and now they are not allowed to leave. You're looking at prison camps for people who have an ideological difference. So, and it kind of sounds like World War II, doesn't it? What it they does. did here. It does, and, and it all stems from the same ideology, but to explore the ideology just a little bit more, let's keep going in the history of racist, uh, racism and gun control, because you look at 1791, when in the first Congress, when they were ratifying the Bill of Rights, when they were ratifying the Bill of Rights, codifying the right of people to keep and bear arms, it's important to remember that from about 1774, 1775, somewhere in there, it, it, maybe a little bit earlier too, all the way until the Battle of uh, New Orleans in 1815, the United States was in a battle to unhook itself from Britain. And we're still fighting an economic battle in a way, and now we're losing with the current administration. I'm going to leave that alone. But you have something where we were trying to unhook for years, and we were in the middle of a war, and we were trying to galvanize the 13 colonies into a new country. You saw something interesting happened. Multiple times, these two sets of colonies almost split over what issue? Slavery. And a lot of people don't know. And a lot of people don't realize that because it's not taught. The Three-Fifths Compromise, one of my producers, God bless you, Vincent, if you're listening, I love you, buddy. But he told me, he looked at me straight in the face, well, I don't really care about the Second Amendment or, or any of them because it only counted for three-fifths of me, referring to the Three-Fifths Compromise. Guys, 
a three-fifths compromise was something that the abolitionists fought to put in because they said you cannot count your population of slaves, people who are held against their will. You can't count them as a vote and then, and then not give them a voice. That is what we're fighting against. And so they debated until they came up with three-fifths of the population. So at least two-fifths of their vote was not given to the colonies that were, hard, you know, that were instituting slavery. Not a good thing. I'm not defending the three-fifths compromise. It was a compromise and a bad one, but we were at war and it was something that we were in an internal civil war in the middle of a war with Britain. Not a good thing, it is what happened. But in the middle of all of this, the Quakers brought forth a proposal that was read to the Congress by Benjamin Franklin. And um, they've been fighting this for a while. Benjamin Franklin had just gotten back from negotiating the peace of the Revolutionary War in France. In 1790, 1791, he got back. And uh, he said some, he read this proposal and it read something like this. Mankind are all formed by the same almighty being, alike objects in his care, equally designed for the enjoyment of happiness. They were entitled to the blessings of liberty without distinction of color. He went on to point out the inconsistency of the Bill of Rights when we still held slaves. And a lot of people would defend slavery by, um, by pointing to the Bible. But chair of theology, just, just really quick, gonna take a quick beat here. What was slavery in the Bible? We use that word, it does not have the same meaning. Well, I'll tell you some of the things I've heard in the past were, um, I believe, Cush. Uh, I heard a pastor say one time, uh, Cush had a, was cursed, but he had a black face. Therefore, a lot of people embraced the fact that uh, black people were under a curse, so it didn't matter what we did to them. I also heard it uh, told that uh, black people didn't have souls, so God didn't care. Now, this is ignorance at its best. I, I want you to understand that. And the reason we had to compromise is because ignorance at its best had to be compromised because people were in charge that, were scripturally ignorant, and that's what—that's why freedom of spe speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of religion is so important. Is because that's how you battle ignorance with good ideas, with Abs truth. Yes, with the truth, with the truth. And so you—you you had the liberal theologian going out and making a case of the son of Ham or Cush, etc. These nonsense ideas that were being purveyed, and so you had the fundamentalist church holding the line and saying, guys, that's not scriptural, just so that we're clear. But moving on further into the issue of gun control. After the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812 was wrapped up, we started to see more and more slave codes, and they were called slave codes, uh, and then they turned into black codes, and then Jim Crow, as we'll explore in a moment. But in 1825, I'm gonna go through all, all three of these real quick. In 1825, we started to see an interesting progression in Florida law. In 1825, <clears throat> a law was passed that allowed white posses to go in looking forcefully into free or slave melanated people's homes, black people's homes, and remove anything that looked like it could have been a weapon, whether it be a cane, a club, a gun, or a knife. It was forcibly removed. Why? Because they didn't have value. You want to go a little bit further, 1828. There was a fight in Florida for freedom. In 1828, they pushed back, and they did, in fact, get a law saying that you could, as a melanated individual, own a firearm only if it was licensed to you and approved by the sheriff. Yeah, like that was really going to happen, huh? Like that was going to happen, but it did for a couple, and this is where it gets scary, because in 1831, they rescinded that law, and the registration of all the firearms, where did they go? All of the good people who registered with the sheriff. Let's cover these really quick, because th these are all the same exact laws. You've got red flag laws. Someone can say, it looks like a weapon. This person is not, um, is not fit. 
we're going to go and confiscate it. You've got registration. You've got the license to carry. It was not enforced on white people. It was enforced on the African slave and the African freeman. Why was that? Because so that I can make sure they cannot fight back. And take it a step further. Take it a step further. Remember, this is in the age, like we covered with Margaret Sanger, this is in the age of eugenics. This is smack in the middle of the 1800s when social Darwinianism, Darwinian evolution uh, would come out later, about 20, 30 years later, Darwin would, would go to Galapagos and come up with all that. However, Darwin was not in the vacuum. He wasn't the first one to come up with this. This was a growing sentiment that there were the fit and the unfit. There were people who should not procreate. And we saw the mass sterilization of people in the 1920s to the 1960s who were considered unfit. 30-something states had uh, steriliz forced sterilization laws where you could go and say this person is promiscuous because she's married or you know she's not married and she has a uh, you know, she's pregnant. Let's go ahead and sterilize her. These are those same people, and they're pointing at the African Americans, and we're going to see in a little bit they pointed also at the Southern Italians, the Appalachians, everyone who they thought were unfit. You so. Know I, I don't mean to interrupt you, John Arthur, but uh, you had said something about the red flag laws, and I don't mean to, to step on Charlie's uh, politics here, but... Uh, well, go to the know, culture of, of red flag laws. Uh, yeah, red flag laws um, basically are talking about where people who have any kind of mental issues or anybody that they feel like that might have a any kind of problem with uh, any kind of a gun that they feel like, which could be a police officer, your next door neighbor, a person down the street, or anybody that's related to you, that they feel like that that person may have some kind of issue with a gun, and they go tell the police about it and the judge goes okay no problem and they go and they instantly go to your house they don't need a warrant they go and they take all of your guns just because that first person feels like that you shouldn't have a gun now what's coming up which people need to be aware of that is proposed and has passed, and I don't mean to step on your okay. chair here, okay. Charlie, which has passed in the House just recently, which is a bill that's been brought up by Nadler, okay? Yep. <laughs> now check this out, which is H.R. 2377, which is a new red flag law that's been proposed, been passed in the House. Now, this may not pass in the Senate, but it has been passed in the House, and this one is just far beyond, and I haven't completely read everything in it, but it is just unreal what it's proposing to do. Well, you're not going to be able to own a firearm. You're not going to be able to, it, 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 and it, again, it's, it's the same It's the same laws, though. It's right. the same arguments, and it's the same issue that we've, we've debated over and over again. So... Red flag laws, where someone, if they have an issue with you, if they think that you're unfit. Now, that's just they think one, that you're of, unfit. one of the ones they've passed. And they've also passed another one, which is H.R. 7910. And it's absurd, the things that are in it. They don't even want you to take your gun apart and clean it. They're making That'll it, make it against the law to do. They're making it intentionally more difficult to own Again, it's the same issue. Getting back to the history, I do want to throw this at the chair of theology. Effectively, what we see here is in a man-instituted situation where individuals have been stripped of their value. What does, when, 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 when folks come, and you, you'll talk to a lot of nice people, like I talked to, to Miss Melinda at the NRA, we, we, we did some interviews and talked to one lady who was protesting. You know, she, she's a Christian, but she wants to take away other people's right to own firearms because of bad people or what is considered, what she thinks in her mind is right. 
when we start to deviate from the precepts that God has put out there, what does that do to us as individuals? We've kind of glanced on this already, but what does that say? We, what does that say about our view of ourselves when we take God's position? Well, that's a yeah. You're trying to solve a situation without looking at the root cause, which the root cause is sin, um, and you can't. You're not going to solve it. I mean, it it sounds good on paper. Let's take away the guns, and we'll, then nobody will have guns, and we won't be, you know, seeing these mass murders, and and all crime will stop. The only problem is the only people who are going to obey the law are the law-abiding citizens who are not out there killing people. <laughs> it is the the criminals that are out there killing people. That there's always a black market. Why why did they uh, abolish alcohol? Back in the, uh, was it the 1920s and 30s? And then they had, did it stop alcohol? No. It did not. It did not stop. Do we not have laws that permit, um, prohibit people from driving while under the influence of alcohol? Do we still have drunk drivers and and people getting killed by drunk drivers? We just don't enforce any sort of So it's, it it is a, it, it sounds good, but that's not going to solve the problem. The problem is that people are looking for a wholesome environment when we've embraced and accepted immorality, immoral activity. And there is a biblical principle, you reap what you sow. And there's no punishment for evil. Uh, no, and, and, no. And, 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 and that's the issue. You, mm-hmm. you look at man's solution, and we, we covered this with Jeremy Bentham uh, back when we looked at do we have biblical justice in America? And, and, and we've got it, it was formed and framed in that. And we've we've slowly taken on the, the humanist perspective. And that's really the problem. That's really the ill here. And after we've taken on the humanist perspective, we, we, we've heard from the chair of culture on, on these laws, but after we've taken the humanist perspective, I want to go to the chair of politics. After we've taken the humanist perspective on things like gun control, as we see in the 1820s and 1830s, where we have stripped individuals of their rights, we've put man in the seat of God what happens to political structures that do that? What ultimately results if not reined in? You're seeing it in America today. So we get into the area of identity politics. What was the purpose of that? Identity politics is meant to divide. Just as it did in the 1800s, in the 1600s. That's right. We're going to make pockets of people, and then we're going to attempt to control those pockets of people. I submit, and, I, and I've said this before, and I want to I wanna share with the listeners that, look, when it comes to dividing and making pockets of people, you might be on the quote-unquote winning side of a particular argument. You might, you might feel very strongly about that. One question that you need to ask yourself is, if this were to come back on my quote-unquote group, what would this look like? What would I feel like? And for a lot of Democrats today, and, and I am sitting in the chair of politics, for a lot of Democrats today, there's a lot of things that have been going on and a lot of laws that are, that are being made. And some, some of them are kind of sitting back and looking at this and going, wait a minute, this this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. And 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 that that's the issue. Once you start to divide people based on their specific groups and you devalue, you dehumanize, you strip people of certain rights, it's only a matter of time before it falls back onto you. The stone that the wicked man rolls uh, will be will roll back on him. It's a rough paraphrase, but you get the point. In a quick analogy, how about a pack of dogs? How many yes. alphas do you have? One. That's why it's called an alpha dog. When you get a bunch of different pockets of people, there is only going to be one. And you're going to have a, you either unite together or you'll tear each other apart. Yes. Now, moving on to the 1857 Dred Scott case. We've got a good slide on that. Uh, Dred Scott, Africans who were imported into this country and sold as slaves, this is the deciding opinion, uh, were not included nor intended to be included under the word citizens in the Constitution, whether emancipated or not, and remain without rights and privileges 
except such as those which the government might grant them, thereby upholding slavery. That was the Supreme Court of the United States in uh, 1857, the Dred Scott case. Mm -hmm. What does that sound like? Your rights are not absolute. Your rights are not inalienable. Mr. Former Vice President, got, got to respect the office here, Mr. Former Vice President Joe Biden uh, recently said that your rights are not absolute. Especially second to the Second Amendment. Amendment. And, and the first. And the first. And they're coming for your First Amendment rights. Yes. They're coming for both because they're scared of you. They know that you are a freeman right now. If they can take that away from you, if they can take that away from you, they win. And again, not to get into the chair of economics here too far, but when you have a people who are subdued, you can control them. And when you can control them, you can bring about your globalism. Globalism on its face is not inherently good or evil, but what they intend for it is evil. evil. What they intend for it is evil. Globalism on its face is not one way or the other. But one of the worst decisions ever made was the Dred Scott case. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we've hashed out why. But let's keep going here. Let's keep going. And, and by the way, that was specifically a lot, a lot of that had to do with eight slavery, but also with the ownership of firearms. Colleen Noir really said it well. He said it's not an issue of they're slaves, therefore they can't own firearms. It's no, no, no. They could own firearms, some people would say back then. They could own firearms, therefore they should never be free men and recognized. That was the argument. That was the argument. So after the Civil War, many, much, much blood was uh, shed. The Reconstruction era saw the slave codes turn into Jim Crow. And even though we had the Civil Rights Act of, the, of 1866, uh, it was meant to reaffirm the Fourteenth Amendment, but um, it 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 didn't it didn't do everything we wanted it to do. However, opponents of the Fourteenth Amendment objected to its adoption because they opposed federal enforcement of the freedoms of the Bill of Rights. Senator Thomas A. Hendricks, Democrat, of course, from Indiana, said, "If this amendment be adopted, we will then carry the title of citizenship." as well as, and, and, and enjoy its advantages in common with the Negroes, the Coolies, and the Indians. This is the problem for them. This was the problem, is that they, those people, those unfit, those, those, those Neanderthals, they too, th their words, their thoughts, they too will have the right to keep and bear arms. We will be in so much trouble, we will, we will be under siege from the criminal element. Does that sound familiar? Just, just a thought for the moment there. In the same year of 1866, the KKK was formed. And uh, what you saw was the oppression, the oppression of the African-American. And this would continue, and it still does to this day. We still have a form of this uh, to this very day. The KKK was the militant arm. Often the same people who were passing the laws were the ones donning hoods and coats. Saturday night specials uh, were firearms that were inexpensive and easily obtained. They started to make these so-called Saturday night special laws in the 1860s, 70s, and 80s, where it, they made it difficult for inexpensive firearms to obtain or to be obtained by the criminal element. Only 1851, you know, navies, uh, uh, 1860s uh, Colts, those sorts of expensive, high-class firearms were allowed to be sold in certain areas for the express purpose of preventing people from picking up their own right to self-defense. In the 1911 Sullivan Law that was instituted, do you all remember the Sullivan Law? It was the bedrock and foundation for gun control in New York City. The 1911 Sullivan Law, was uh, once enacted, required police permission to obtain a permit to own a handgun. Again, this was enacted by, um, I forget, it was Big Man Sullivan, I forget his first name, but there were those who literally said, two Italians, this is to keep you and your filthy criminal ilk from obtaining these guns. Not just white on black racism, Irish to Italian racism.
is also a component of gun control. It's always a matter of them prohibiting ownership of firearms to those whom they wish to oppress. Yeah, and it happened to be any large group of people that, that showed up that were coming over to the United States, which, you know, the Irish, the Italians. The Jews. The, the Jews, the Polish. The, the Asiatic, yes. Asians, the Czechs. The Czechs, you know, uh, any groups of people that came over on, and on ships in large groups, all of these people were oppressed and not allowed to have guns. And, you know, in my own personal opinion, I don't care who you are, what color you are, in the United States, the Second Amendment applies to everybody. And you are allowed to protect yourself, your family. Uh, um, just, remember, <laughs> just remember the philosophy that was governing this. It was an anti-God, anti-biblical philosophy, and it still is to this day. In 1934, you had the National Firearms Act, the NFA, banned all sorts of weapons, you know, uh, mufflers for firearms. People don't realize that's what a silencer is, a suppressor, suppressor is. Yeah. When you're shooting supersonic rounds through a suppressor, it still sounds like a jackhammer. It's yes. just not as deleterious to your ears. Uh, the, 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 the Hollywood quiet thing, it, it's, it's, it's quite it, a stretch. It, yeah, Hollywood is no, like... No country know, for yeah. old men. You can't use a pillow as a suppressor for a shotgun. Uh, I'm no, sorry, uh, fam. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work. work. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. No. Um, don't ask me how. I know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but there was a tax stamp applied. There was a tax stamp applied of two hundred dollars, roughly four, five grand, about the cost of a used car. So why would a tax stamp be applied to ownership for automatics and suppressors and sawed-off shotguns? Why, why, why would they do that? Make it harder. For the poor. Yep. They could yep. still afford it. The elite could still afford it. Their bodyguards could still afford it. The police could still afford it. With your tax dollars, by the way, with your money. People yep. don't realize, again, it's your money. When the police are rolling around in an in a APC, that's your money. We gave it to them to protect us. We should be able to protect ourselves. In 1941, a Florida judge admitted to the unequal administration of gun control law, and, and Chair of Theology, get ready here, because this is one that is very heavy on you to weigh in on. But in, con in uh, concurring opinion, narrowly construing a Florida gun control law passed in 1893, Justice Buford stated that the 1893 law was passed when there was a great influx of Negro laborers in this state. The same condition existed when the act was amended in 1901, and the act was passed for this purpose of disarming the Negro laborers. Talking about a gun control law here, the statute was never intended to be applied to the white population and in practice has never been so applied. That's from a judge. That's from a judge from a, in yes. 1941. By the way, around that time when we were interring Japanese, uh, which oh. party? Just saying FDR Democrat. Anyway, but just to carry on, pot shot there. Uh, chair of Theology, when you start to apply differing weights in differing measures in justice, what does that say about your, your, your view of God? What does that say about well, your... Well, God makes it very clear about un, unequal weights. I mean, that's a biblical statement about um, the, uh, the corruption of unequal weights. When, when people would come into a, a town to purchase something, they would bring in a little thing of gold and they would put it on a, a weight. And what the owner would do is he would rig the weight so that the gold did not weigh its right amount, but he would pay less money. Uh, so it, it was cheating. What does James say about a respecter of persons? Uh, God is no respecter of persons. Remember, we talked about all men are created in the image of God. Now, your opinion of God will determine how you relate to that passage. And if you think that you can separate blacks and whites or even Italians or Hispanic or whatever, then you have, like I said before, pushed God off the throne and now you are God making the statement. But these men are not created in your image. They're created in a much greater, holy, 
uh, person, and that is God himself. And you are messing with his creation, something that he loves and he adores. And now you've come in and you've uh, created this um, false idea that you are greater than. And, and that's pride. That goes back to the garden. That's pride. 100%. 100% an issue of pride. Let's continue because we want to get we want to get to the last couple of things before we wrap up our time today. In 1968, the Gun Control Act was passed. By the way, this is just a couple of years after the civil rights legislation was passed. Numerous gun laws were passed in an attempt to muzzle the African American's voice in uh, and this includes bans against open carry. Okay? That they passed the Gun Control Act of 1968. By the way, NRA, we're doing better, but you guys were part of that. You were also mm -hmm. part of the, uh, uh, was it 86 ban? Uh, 86 or 88? Anyway, point being, uh, stop trying to take away our rights. You guys are supposed to be fighting for them, and uh, you're doing better. Please, please, let's, let's move forward. But uh, Robert Sherrill, in 1968, after the Gun Control Act was passed, an avowed anti-gun journalist admitted this very telling uh, bit here. The Gun Control Act of 1968 was passed not to control guns, but to control blacks. That's an anti-gun journalist. Admitting, admitting to what, what they're up to. The, uh, the Gun Control Act was passed uh, not to control guns, but to control blacks. Inasmuch as a majority of Congress did not want to do the former but were ashamed to show that their goal was the latter. They were afraid to say something racist, so what they did was something that was intended to cause harm to the African-American population. This, in, and this is what they say, kind this of in turn... like red flag laws, doesn't it? This in turn resulted in neither getting done. Indeed, the law was the first gun control law passed by Congress in 30 years. And it was one of the grand jokes of our time. This is an anti-gunner here. First of all, bear in mind that it was not passed in one piece, but was in a combination of two laws. The original 1968 uh, act was passed to control handguns after Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated with a rifle. Handgun laws passed to prevent an assassination by a rifle. Hold that for a moment. Uh, it, it was then repealed and repassed to include the control of rifles and shotguns after the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy with a handgun. The moralist of our federal legislature, as well as the sentimental editor, writer, uh, editorial writers, insist that the Act of 1968 was a, a, some sort of kind memorial to King and Kennedy. If so, it was certainly a weird memorial as it can be seen not merely as the handgun, long gun, shell game, but from the inapplicability of the law to their deaths. Most mass shootings are done with handguns. We're talking a fraction of them are committed with long guns. You have 20,000 deaths, between 15 and 20,000 homicides every year committed by someone holding a firearm. About four to 500 people every year are killed with the use of a long gun. Well, John, Remember, it's a shell game. Well, John Arthur, more people are killed with fist, feet, and hammers than are killed with guns. Well, as, as Miss Nikki so carefully pointed out in our research for uh, the seven deadly sins of gun control, you're actually more likely to be murdered by your own mother than you are in a mass shooting in America. Not talking right. about abortion, not even talking about abortion. Correct. We're just talking about parental abuse resulting in death. You are mm -hmm. more likely to die from your parent, your mother specifically, and by the way, twice as likely as uh, the men are to, to, to kill their own child. Just a note, it, it, it's and, not, it's and not and just one sex. Both like sexes said, are capable. Not abortion. And we're not talking about abortion. We're talking about parental abuse. So just note that you're significantly less likely to die from a shooting than you are from your own parent. But the law isn't meant to fix a problem. It's meant to control you. They who consider you to be unfit wish to control you. They are our intellectual betters. They are the elite. They are the ones that pushed for a master race. They are the ones who said that the African 
those who had more melanin in their skin were somehow deficient, uh, defective, or they would even twist the scriptures to say that they were cursed. Be ready to have all hammers removed from the marketplace. Well, you're going to have you're going to have hammers I mean, removed. Really? You're going to have plastic cutlery, as we see in Great Britain. Moving on along to the issue of more modern history, House Bill, uh, House Resolution, I believe it was HR three eight three eight by Bill Clinton in nineteen ninety four, was again much like the nineteen sixty eight bill. It was aimed at low-income housing, removing firearms from low-income housing. Who primarily inhabits low-income housing, especially the, the projects? I'm just mm -hmm. putting that out there. That's what they think of us. That's what they think of us. That's what they think of the African-American. That's what they think of everyone who is not them. That's where they are. So wrapping up for the day, I, I want to start Next, to kind of it, pull John it Arthur, in. If I could, before you do that. Go ahead. Joy Behar made one of the most ludicrous comments this, this last week. And this guy's, I'm just bringing this out so that you can see the kind of language and thoughts and how they really mold into what we're talking about today. She said that when black people get guns, gun laws will change. So... Elaborate a little bit more. What was the context? So the or? context of this was in one of the shows uh, that they were doing on The View. And one of the co-hosts had, they were talking about the issue of gun control. And I want to I want to give proper context here. They were talking about an AR-15. Okay. So the one guest on The View was talking about uh, the story of one of her friends uh, who had a neighbor that their whole family was gunned down. This neighbor watched it and vowed that he was not going to allow his family to be ever murdered like that. And in Massachusetts, you cannot buy. I don't think it was Massachusetts. I thought it was Connecticut. It, it might have been Connecticut. It was in the Northeast. I think Ms. Nicky's correct. Yep. So in the, in the Northeast there, you've got some states that have some very strict laws there. Well, mm -hmm. this guy was like, okay, I can't buy an AR-15, but the law does allow me to build one. So that's what they were talking about here. Ghost guns, by the way. And that, that is what a ghost gun is by definition. And, and they're fixing to outlaw that. Yep. Keep and going. So lo and behold, Joy Behar is not going to give an inch on this particular topic. So with the one host defending the position of the man who's like, I'm not going to allow my family to be gunned down like that, Joy yeah. Behar makes the stupid comment that when blacks get guns, gun laws will change. Joy yeah. Behar is the epitome of what we're talking about today. If I, can, if I can tease out what I think you're trying to say is that Joy Behar is saying that for some, somehow it's white on black violence that is what's occurring and that the blacks haven't historically had that taken away from them. Whereas it's her side, it's her philosophy when carried to its fullest extent that has always taken firearms away from people who look a certain way. Yes. Sounds like have some of the old melanin. black codes, doesn't it? It's exactly mm. it's exactly what's going on. And the the thing is, is Joy Behar is about as uh, don't go there. She, <laughs> she is she, she she has held so many positions, and she just sort of floats in the wind. I almost don't even like to talk to her about her because she's just an airhead. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Kind of starts with an eye. But but. <laughs> But not, 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 <laughs> anyway, anyway, Joy Behar, good laugh. But moving on to the chair of theology, just to wrap up for the day. When we start to take away the individual's right, when we strip them down and we start to use a differing measures, when we start to respect persons differently, what does that say about where we've put God as a society? Well, he's certainly not at the top of the totem pole, that's for sure. What we've done is we've exalted ourselves in our positions because this is not just going to be white on black. Or it's a, this is going to be white on white. The, what's happening in the mainstream right now is about control and power. And, you know, that goes back to what the Bible says, the, um, the love of money is the root of all evil. Power and control has a lot to do with money. And, um, Avarice. That's, Avarice yes. is the word. Yes. And people like power. And so when we know that our power is being threatened by certain things and certain people, 
then we have to um, create a um, circumstance where they are less. And that's why you would always make people be less than what God has positioned them to be is because you're trying to assert yourself as greater value than what they are, and you have become God. And so it, it inevitably results in human suffering. Uh, every time. Every time. You can see that around the world with governments and certain um, people who are oppressed within that government because of, you know, they're of a different tribe, they're a different religion. I mean, they do it for many reasons. And but which, it's playing God. It's what, it, what it comes down to is you are playing God and you are making a decision, this person is less valuable than I am. Absolutely. And historically, we can see from the chair philosophy, we can see where this philosophy has come from, where the philosophy of gun control has come from. And guys, it's the same arguments. Christians, beloved, look at, and, and look, if, if you're not, if you're, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, but you at least love freedom, guys, it's the same argument. It's the same fight. It has not changed for 400 years. The 1619 Project is not entirely wrong, but they're talking about their own worldview, and they haven't paid attention to the reality of history, and so they're railing against something that they are supporting, they're putting up. Now, the 1619 Project, sorry, all grifters, okay? They're, they're, they're in there to make money. They're, if you actually had an ounce of intellectual integrity, you would look at the history and say, oh, this is bunk because it's the same people. It's the same ideology that the 1619 Project suffers and wallows in that caused all the suffering of the melanated individuals who were brought here by slave, the Irish who were brought here by slave trade. It's the same ideology, folks. Because they were Catholic, we could persecute the, the Irish. Because there's so many gang bangers, because, because there's so many gang members and the Italians, we can oppress them. It doesn't matter who it is. It's a flawed ideology. And when you look at repeating history, it occurs over and over and over again. We have a repeating history. We have a recurring history of gun control. And we see where it comes from. Be aware of where this came from. And when people bring it up, share it with them in a loving way. Moving over to the chair of culture. When we have a culture that has decided to devalue the individual, what does that allow for as far as tribalism and as far as the destruction of a godly culture? And it, well, it, it does exactly what you said. It destroys the culture. Uh, the, the people look upon others just like they're, they're not people. They're not part of society. You, you have people just like they do. They're, they're not citizens. They're, it was kind of like uh, Nikki explained at one time where, uh, you know, black folks don't have a soul. Come on. Are, are they really serious about that? People aren't allowed to protect themselves. They're not allowed to protect their families. Uh, life is devalued. I mean, I come from a part of the country and uh, a town that is was at one time when I was growing up was just uh, wrought with, how should I say, uh, a lot of racism in the part of where I grew up. Uh, you know, since my time of being saved, I have given up all of these sorts of things and it was just rampant from where I grew up. Uh, over where I was at, KKK was big time. You don't even want to know the type of things that grew, that were happening over where I grew up. Uh, and it was just rampant in those parts of the country. And it's just, they look upon people as just nothing. Their, their lives are devalued. They see them as, you know, non-human and it's not right man it is not right it's just like nikki said you know all people are created equal all are in the image of god we all have the same value to each other 
So when, when we look at the culture today, we want to make sure that we're putting something together, that we are constructing a cogent worldview, something that, that meshes, something that makes sense. We know that man is basically flawed. We know that man is basically evil. But we also know that man is made in the image of God. We should have laws and a culture that Correct. act accordingly. We're all image bearers. So moving over to the chair of politics, wrapping up for the day, when we have a theology, philosophy, and culture that do not support all men are made in the image of God, and also that man is basically evil, what do we see occur? We see things like the 1800s. We see things like the slave codes. We see other things, too. Go ahead and expound on that, just wrapping so up thoughts for the day. The political laws start to become bent to reflect that. It's number one. You get a lot of division going on in your country. It's a lot of what we're seeing right now. And when you have that, I go back to the analogy of the dogs. You start getting pockets of people. There's only going to be one alpha dog, only one. And if you're going to maintain your worldview the way that you think and you, you expect to have a happy-go-lucky life, you better make sure you're in the group that has the alpha dog. Because if you don't, you will face the same kind of persecution and oppression that everybody else does. The difference between dogs and man, man's made in the image of God. Man answers right. to God in a way that dogs don't. Maybe you should want him to be the overarching authority and not the most powerful person in the moment Amen. and not the authorities in the moment. Racism is a horrible sin, man, and I am here to tell you. It, it And this, this is, comes from, you know, personal experience, John Arthur. It's a horrible sin. It's something that we have to make sure that we always fight at every turn and make sure that when you go for it, hopefully today, uh, you've you've been informed, hopefully you've been entertained, but hopefully you've got something moving forward that you can actually share with people. And folks want to talk about red flag laws. Do you know where red flag laws were were, were, were first first uh, suggested in the 1800s against blacks between 1825 and 1831? You can you can talk about the laws where they said you can go into home, take all their all their stuff. If they look like they have a club, they can take it. You can take it from them. Uh, oh, oh wait, you know what? Register your guns. It's okay. The government's here to help you. We'll allow you to register your guns. I'm sorry. Pull the rig up from underneath. You were going to come in and take your guns. When, when you start to see the history, you can start to point to it. When you start to see the history, you can point to it. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, all those good things. If you're on YouTube, we are now on YouTube, and we are posting stuff on YouTube. If you're on YouTube with us and you have not been listening, you've been watching, thank you so much. Click that share button. Like, Just click the share button. You know, that is the new like. You know, like, comment, subscribe, all those things to help the algorithm. But sharing is the new caring. That is the thing that YouTube looks for. So um, share it. And please do share it with someone. And if you're not going to share it with someone, just click the button. Great looking uh, shirt, John Arthur. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can get this. You too can look this good if you were to look at uh, Amazon merch and purchase a shirt. Support the uh, the podcast, et cetera. It doesn't actually get us that much money. Amazon takes a big cut, but at least people can know that uh, you support the podcast. And I'm not gonna say that Elijah was wearing this very shirt when he confronted the prophets of Baal, but he sure looked cool. Uh, <laughs> put us down in the comment section which uh, uh, laws you thought were most egregious. If you didn't like this podcast, smash that dislike button twice. We love y'all so much. Bye-bye. 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 All right, one more thing, one more thing. Uh, going around the room, what was the most <clears throat> egregious gun law, in your opinion? What was the most harmful, going from chair theology? Uh, when they allowed blacks to uh, get a license for a firearm, and then three years later, they repealed it, and not, they repealed it and took the guns away. I mean, that's hor horrible. Absolutely, and I, I, that, that, that's got to be one of the worst ones for me. Uh, I definitely don't care for that. I, I'll, I'll go with a different one, Dred Scott. Dred Scott is, is a terrible, terrible decision. It's one of the worst court decisions ever in history. Uh, I'd also go with, the, with those laws. Mr. Steve. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to have to go with the one with the KKK, um, allowing them to exist. Go, exist and go into people's homes 
giving them the ability to go into homes of black folks and take their arms. And what was so bad about it, the sheriffs in those counties were part of the KKK. And that's how a lot of them got elected, was being lenient on on those KKK members. That is absolutely absurd. I am just against that sort of thing. Distrust the government. You know, make right. sure that you know that man is basically evil. Man is in government. Therefore, and government needs to have godly oversight. Which was brought up by who? The Democrat Party. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Moving over to Mr. Charlie. What was the most egregious law in your opinion? I, I have to give the edge to the Florida laws. Um, Dred Scott. And by the way, if you're a listener out there and you've never really read through that, you ought to. But I, I have Links to in say. the description. Yeah. I, I have to say that I think the Florida laws were probably the worst. Tell us what you thought was the most egregious law and why down in the comment section helps the algorithm, makes Wojcicki mad. Uh, thank you all so much. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.